Welcome to the Band Voices podcast. This is Joseph Dunnigan. Band Voices is the podcast from the Band Books Museum, a museum in Tallinn, Estonia, that exhibits and preserves books from around the world that have been banned, burned and censored. In this podcast, we preserve the stories of authors, editors and publishers who have experienced censorship or persecution. Band Voices does not necessarily endorse the views and opinions of its guests. Our role is to give them a platform to tell their story from their own perspectives. This conversation is with Mohammed Al-Mafahi. Mohammed is a professor of Arabic literature at the Lund University Centre for Advanced Middle Eastern Studies. In this conversation, we talk about Mohammed's life, we talk about his journey from Yemen to Sweden, and we talk about uh, the definition of Arabic literature and his research into banned books and censorship in the Arabic-speaking world. It's a really interesting topic, it's something I didn't previously know a lot about, so I'm very grateful to have this opportunity. I'm not a speaker of Arabic on any level, so it's really hard to do the research and it's great to have him as a guide into this, into this topic. I really look forward to using his research to develop a Arabic literature section for banned books. That's going to be really cool and it's going to give us all an opportunity to learn about the literature from that part of the world or from those parts of the world. Mohammed, it's nice to talk to you. It's nice to have you as a guest on the podcast. We met because um, a list you wrote a list of books um, from the Arabic-speaking world that was sent to me by our mutual friend, uh, Ulrika Alberg at the Dawiti Isaac Library. And I'm very happy to talk to you today because honestly, it's, uh, you know, I'd really like to learn more about uh, the Arabic speaking world and the literature there. And of course, the issues about censorship. Maybe we can start by you telling me a bit about your background. Tell me about yourself and where you come from and your kind of intellectual background. Okay, thank you, Giza. I appreciate uh, having me in this uh, broadcast and your uh, interesting uh, project. I'm very happy to be with you today. And thank you also to all of your audience uh, everywhere. So I'm Mohammed Al Mahfali. I'm a researcher here in Sweden in Center for Advanced Middle East Studies, Lund University. But um, uh, I came from Yemen. Uh, I was born there in, in 1979. Uh, actually, my elementary school was in the village, in one of Yemeni village in the uh, western part of Yemen. Uh, sorry, in, uh, yeah, in western part. And then I moved to capital Sana'a to study uh, the middle school because there was no in that time middle school at, at our village. So I was in that time about 11 or 12 years without my family to study Ansana. And then when I tried to study high school, it was so difficult to, you know, I feel that it's difficult for me to depend on my father to send me money. And I moved to Hadramut, which is uh, 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 in the east part in the east of Yemen. Uh, it's uh, uh, around uh, near the border with Oman's uh, state. And then, uh, you know, I finished uh, the high school and I studied also uh, uh, my bachelor 
in, in Arabic language and literature, which is the, the you know, this is the first link linked me with the literature. And also I started working as a journalist at the same time, uh, especially when I finished the bachelor and st uh, start also uh, working as a lecturer and uh, as an instructor for the Arabic for generals. And, uh, because in, in, in Hadramut University and in Yemen in general, the Arabic language is, it, uh, you know, it's uh, a topic that should all the students should uh, uh, at the university, I mean, from all the disciplines, for example, medicine, engineering, and any uh, specialist, they should they should study uh, Arabic language. So, uh, but uh, as I mentioned, uh, my link to the literature was when when I started uh, writing to journalists and to the newspapers, especially in, in the cultural. Uh, aspect uh, to write uh, articles, uh, reports, news, uh, investigations, uh, report about places, but using, you know, literary uh, words. Uh, and then I moved to uh, Cairo University in 2011 until 2014, where I finished my uh, uh, PhD in Arabic literature, specifically about the novel, Arabic novels. So that means I have my education was in the literature and also my, you know, my practice or my uh, uh, work or positions also linked to the journalism. And I started also uh, writing uh, literary criticism as it was my, you know, my, my field in the in that uh, uh, in that moment, uh, I've published uh, around five books until now, in addition to uh, uh, tens of uh, articles, uh, peer-reviewed articles and non-peer-reviewed articles, and also uh, around fourteen book reviews and and, and and from several disciplines. I see. And tell me about growing up in Yemen. What was it like at the time when you were when you were growing up? Was it a was it a comfortable childhood for you there, or was it particularly yeah. affected by, you know, the the war and things like that at that time? You know, I, I as I mentioned, I bought by the beginning of eighteenth uh, the last century. It was no war, but it was so difficult. I mean, yeah, it was it was difficult because I as I mentioned at the my village, there was no any surfaces, no electricity, no water, no no supplies, water supply. I mean, there is water, but from the village, we should to uh, the valley, we should to go there to bring the water by the you know containers uh, and above to donkeys. You know, it it was difficult, but I in that time and all also all the people there they they don't feel that it's difficult because. They born with this situation and they feel that it's normal. But you know, when I'm remember now, I felt it was so difficult and I couldn't even stay two or three days. I can't go there only for, for visiting, for, you know, for vacation to, it's like an, an, an adventure. Uh, but, you know, uh, I think Yemen is a place of war. 
because the first war became in 1994. It, it was between the south and northern part of Yemen, which is civil uh, civil war, and uh, it, it continued in that time only two, uh, two months. But unfortunately, the second wave of wars started 2004 between the government and the Houthis movement, which uh, led to six part of uh, wars or six round of the war. And then the big war, which, uh, which started 2015 until, until now. So of course it was difficult uh, regarding the, uh, you know, the economic, the uh, social, uh, there was no uh, good surfaces, but I think the people that they feel in that time, they were feel that it's normal. But now the, 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 you know, the situation become very difficult, uh, even in on the, you know, the cities, there was no, there is no uh, electricity, no water supplies, no, even, you know, the, uh, for example, uh, all the employers, they don't have any salary for more than four years until now. Uh, so it's it's so difficult for me, as I mentioned, when I moved from the village to Sana City to, to, to study my elementary school, my middle school and my high school. But I felt, you know, because I saw all my colleagues, they uh, stopped their study and moved to, to work as a child. But I, I, you know, I tried to work and to study because I, I don't know why. I mean, there was there was uh, motivation that pushed me to continue my studying without any encourage from any person. So I mean, it's only it was only by chance to continue my studying to the high uh, uh, to 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 be you know as a PhD and to work as uh, in the university as a, a, a professor in, in Arabic literature. So you're you found that you were self motivated to pursue education. Was it? Did your did your family approve of that, or did they expect that you would uh, no, kind of actually, go and come back to their to their uh, to their village? It's it's as you mentioned. It's only self motivation. I mean, because my my family was not. I mean, they 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 are not uh, educated. They are only. I mean, my father. Yeah, I can read and and uh, and write, but uh, he doesn't have any you know, uh, education, even the elementary school, he was only uh, learn himself on uh, what we called Kuttab, which is, you know, an, uh, 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 an official uh, education was before in, in, in that time, you know, some person who can read and uh, write to teach other people how to read and uh, write, uh, and they were only studied the Quran. So, I mean, there was no any uh, encouragement from any person, only I, I, I found uh, internal sound that pushed me to continue uh, my, my study. And when I, when, I, uh, when I was in high school, I was working and studying. What so, were you working as? Uh, actually, I was working in... Um, uh, uh, in uh, shops to help some people to, you know, and to have a small amount of money for continuing my, my studying. Uh, 
when I finished my uh, bachelor, I already moved to, as I mentioned, to, to teach at the university as an instructor. And, and also when I finished my PhD, I returned to my university as, uh, to work as assistant professor in, in, in Hadramaut University, specifically in Socotra Island, which is Yemeni Island. Uh, it's 400 kilometers far from uh, the Yemeni land. It's on, uh, it's in uh, Indian Ocean. I see. And how was it that you ended up in Sweden? Yeah, you know, when I, uh, I, when I finished my uh, PhD on Cairo University uh, in 2014, I decided to return to my faculty in, in Socotra Island. Uh, I returned in August 2015. Sorry, in 2014. So, and uh, I uh, participated uh, outside of Yemen in two conferences, one on Algeria and the other in, in, in uh, Oman in March 2015. And I returned to my faculty in Socotra Island on 23rd of uh, March 2015, only two days when became the total war in Yemen. And, you know, all the flight that stops and I stuck at this uh, uh, island and I felt this is the the end of my life and actually because you know as I mentioned I was a writer and I criticized all the parties not only in the government but also those uh, conflict parties so I felt it's so you know dangerous as I, I felt it's uh, threatened to my life and my family I decided to lift uh, Yemen but I don't know to where I go uh, I left Socotra Island by boat, which is, you know, uh, wooden boat. It's Indian wooden boat from Socotra to Salala, Oman. Uh, we spent three days at the sea with my family. And, you know, this boat, actually, it's, it's for, uh, for goods. It's not for, for people. Uh, I reached out to Salala on uh, May 2015. I spent a week in Oman looking for a job. And I found a job there in, in one of the university. But when we came to the administration, they, they said, okay, we are very sorry that we couldn't hire any Yemenis because the regulation here in Oman said we can't, uh, specifically, you know, those uh, uh, private uh, uh, universities said we, we, co we couldn't hire any person from Yemen, only from other countries, because the regulations in Oman said Yemenis, we have some specific jobs for Yemenis, not, but not as uh, professors or are as uh, uh, researchers and uh, teachers. So, uh, and uh, they asked me actually, the Omani authority to leave Oman, but I don't know where, I couldn't return my country. I couldn't go anywhere because, because I don't have any visa. The only way in that time, the only country that can I go without visa is to go to the Jordan. So I uh, tried, uh, I mean, I took a ticket to go to the Jordan, which is, you know, it is the last country that I, I can decide to go there because it's so expensive. I, I, in that time, I, I don't have any money to spend. I only, um, I think uh, I had around $500 
which nothing, you know, in, in Jordan, it's like more than European uh, cities. I mean, we, you can compare Oman, Amman, sorry, and Jordan like, uh, with uh, such countries in Europe and America. So it's, it's, it is so expensive. So I reached out uh, Amman and then my, my friend who from Saudi Arabia said, okay, we have her job and in Riyadh, you can go, you can come to her. We have an apartment for you. We have a, a already position only one week until we prepare your visa to go here. So I waited one week, one month, uh, one year without any, uh, uh, any visa. So at that time, I tried to look for another uh, you know, opportunity. So I applied for several jobs, several uh, fellowships. One of them is, was uh, a Scholar Rescue Fund, uh, which is a US organization that care for researchers and uh, you know, uh, scholars around the, the world that uh, threatened and uh, you know, their life uh, at risk. So uh, they actually award me a fellowship but they said you should to look for any uh, 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 institution or universities or cent research center that can host your uh, fellowship. But if you looking for any institution in Europe or South of America, you should to, I mean, this institution should uh, pay much of the fellowship. They gave me 20,000, uh, sorry, $25,000 a year and the institution should uh, pay uh, much money, like, like I mean, the, the same amount of this uh, number, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, which is, you know, so difficult to, to find a, uh, an institution that can uh, pay the same money. But they said, if you were uh, uh, look for uh, an institution in Middle East or any other country in uh, Arab countries, you, you know, you don't have to I mean, the instant sh shouldn't have to pay the same amount of money. And, uh, you know, I feel that it's, it's my opportunity to, to because I feel it's, uh, it is the same problem if I stay in Amman or any other country. So there were no any, uh, any change. And I started actually studying uh, English because uh, my education was in Arabic and it's first time to, you know, to, to, to read and to write in English in Amman. Uh, and then I contacted several countries and several uh, uh, institutions uh, in, 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 in Europe. One of them is, uh, was Lund University here in Sweden. Uh, and the, in that time, they were looking for any person who can deal with uh, uh, Arabic literature, specifically uh, uh, books and documents that uh, in uh, speaking about uh, human rights in Arabic, and they want uh, this person to, to review those uh, documents and to make summaries and to review and somehow. You know, the, the, the good thing that when I stayed at uh, uh, Amman, in, I mean in Amman in Jordan, one of the opportunity that I have to, you know, that helped me to, uh, for expenses uh, to review some books for, uh, a journal in, in, in Oman uh, that uh, in that time they were uh, paying me around uh, $700 per book, per book. I should to make a review every month. 
So that helped me to find, you know, the position when I moved to uh, to Lund, to Sweden. So, uh, and then uh, her, the Center for Medicine Studies, they hired me to work in a project uh, dealing with human rights in the Arab world, with the knowledge of human rights in the Arab world, and to start reviewing those books and make summaries and then translate the summaries to, into English. That's quite an amazing story. Yeah. <laughs> it seems that you were, it seems like a combination of uh, very hard work from you yeah. and uh, always looking for opportunities. How did you, I'm curious, how did, what, when you actually traveled from Yemen to Oman, um, what did you have on this boat with you and your family? Was it just you? And in in, in, did you take possessions? Did you take cash? How did you, how did you survive that? You know, actually, when I, as I mentioned, when I returned to Yemen from, from uh, Oman, I was in a conference and, you know, I had some network and uh, I know some people from there. When I tried to move to Oman, I contacted uh, some friends in Oman and I said, please, I want to leave Yemen. I need a visa. Uh, when I uh, leave uh, Socotra by boat, uh, there was around 27 person in addition to me, my wife and two sons uh, were in, 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 the, in that boat. And the other people, they are Yemenis, but they have another nationalities from Oman, from UAE, Emirates. So, uh, I mean, it was nice because the people also and the crew of the boat, they are very nice because, you know, uh, and uh, one of the, the joke that uh, when I were at, the, uh, at that boat, uh, one of the crew was sick and the people saw, we have a doctor here, we have a doctor. And they actually shot to me, I came, no, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm a doctor in Arabic literature. <laughs> <laughs> not <Wow. laughs> not in medicine <laughs> yeah so you made it to uh, you made it to sweden you're working at the university and how long have you been there yeah i reached out uh, here in sweden on march 2017 and how 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 did you how well did you adapt to life in sweden how i, I would really rather ask how did your family adapt it seems like they have been through a, a lot of a very uncertain process, a lot of uncertainty. Yeah, you know, actually, I, I adapted because I, my life actually it it it's uh, uh, it's like combination of movement from from place to place. I as I mentioned, I moved from uh, the village to Sana and from Sana to Hadramaut and from Hadramaut to Skotra Island, from Skotra Island to. Egypt, from Egypt to Socotra, from Socotra to Oman, Oman and Amman, and then Amman to, to Sweden. And also, unfortunately, I felt that also my family uh, uh, takes this burden with me to, to move them from place to place. And I felt it's so difficult also for my children. You know, also they, they moved from Hadramaut because they were born in Hadramaut and then they moved to, with me to, uh, to Egypt, from Egypt to Socotra, from Socotra to, to um, Oman. It's, you know, it's like the same uh, 
the same journey. And unfortunately, my, my, my uh, son said to me, I will not make any friendship because when I make a friend, I lost them, you know, the next year. So it's, it's, you know, it's so difficult, but, uh, you know, I, I, we, we think, you know, it's, it's normal because it's, it's, uh, we feel it's our, this is our life. We should to adapt. Um, but when I moved to Sweden to the center, I feel, I mean, with the nice people at the center, I, they gave me all the support. They uh, helped me to, uh, to start my new life. And my children were in the international school to study only in, in English. Uh, and you know, here in Sweden, it's, it's like international uh, cities where all the people from around the world from several uh, nationalities. So, uh, but the problem became when I finished my two years fellowship, which is, you know, from that time until now I'm fighting to find uh, opportunity and to find a job. It's the same difficult for me, but at least we, 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 we stay as we are. I mean, we haven't, uh, and I don't want to move again. I mean, I have now several offers from other countries, but I feel, you know, it's enough. I'm on the 42 of my life and I couldn't, uh, you know, move to any other places because I feel it's enough for uh, movement until now. And I'm sure your family also feels that way. Or are they, um, how well have they adapted to Sweden? Do you think that they are, um, particularly your sons, do you think that this has like a long-term effect on them? That they would not, that they feel like they're always going to be moving for their whole lives? Or do you think now they are settled and they want to stay where you are now? No, I think they are settled and they like the, the country here because, you know, I think the, uh, the, the year that they are uh, uh, now and, and, and their teenagers, uh, you know, like life and uh, it's, it's, it's not healthy for them to move to another uh, place again. Uh, but we try to, you know, to stay and I don't like, and they don't like so, uh, to, 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 to move again to any other places. And the, but the, the good thing that only two weeks ago, sorry, um, maybe a month ago, we applied for uh, permanent residency and we got it. And also I applied for them to have a citizenship and already they gave them citizenship at Sweden. So they became, my sons, they became Swedish. I mean, Swedes now, yeah, before me. So are, now they are Swedes. We, I, we have two uh, person, are Swedish uh, within the family. Do you do the rest of your family? Are, are they? Are, do you have family remaining back in Yemen? Do they know about what you're going through and what your fam? What has happened to you? Yeah, I have there my father, my mother, all my brothers and sisters. So yeah, we are still uh, continuing, and I'm still. If I have, uh, I should to to send some small of amount of money for them to support because you know they don't have any uh, sources for, for uh, survive. Uh, of course, it's small amount of money, but it makes difference for them even, you know, due to the big uh, uh, difference of it, the changes between the Yemeni real and the dollars. If you send $100, it makes, uh, it makes you know, uh, uh, sense for them to, 
to have at least uh, expenses for one month. It's an, ama- it's an amazing story. With uh, It sounds like things are going stabilizing a little bit <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for you. Maybe you can tell me um, about uh, your expertise and, and tell me about uh, Arabic literature. And I'd, I'd like to know um, like what the term even refers to when we talk about Arabic literature because what is what is exactly do you consider to be like the Arabic world um, how many countries does that comprise for example what kind of geographical range are we talking about yeah it's very important question you know when you when you speak about the Arabic literature you are now and due to this time you are speaking about 22 uh, countries from Asia, Africa, you know, starting from Asia, those big countries, uh, Asia, Saudi Arabia, Yemen, Emirates, Oman, and uh, Lebanon, Palestine, Iraq, Syria, until also Morocco, Algeria. And we have also other countries, Arabic countries like Somalia and Djibouti, but they are speaking another. You know, we, we have those countries, they are considered Arabic countries while they are speaking another uh, language. Does that, include, does that include Iran? No, Iran it's another because, you know, Iran it's not a part of uh, uh, Arabic League. Arabic League, this is it's a political uh, group. But, you know, as I mentioned, we have 22, but... Uh, uh, as a speakers uh, Arabic only we have uh, I think 18 uh, country but uh, Somalia they they are speaking Arabic but they are speaking also Somali I mean when you have some Somali they can they can understand Arabic and they read some and somehow Arabic but at the same time you know they have their own language but when you, when we talk uh, historically about the Arabic literature we are speaking about uh, uh, you know this combination between the Arabic as a culture and the Islam as religion, which me- which means that you know during the history we- when we speak about the Arabic literature, we are speaking about more than one thousand and at least six hundred thousand six hundred uh, years. So that means we are talking about also. The Arabic literature is combination with other culture like Farsi, which is, as you mentioned, Iran, Turkish, uh, Indian, uh, and also all of these uh, cultures, uh, culture and uh, cultures and uh, you know nations that they were in the past a part of you know the Muslim world. So uh, in that in that case, we have we have speaking about you know a wide range of cultures, nations, uh, uh, words. Yeah, it seems very challenging, like a very challenging term to define, as in geographic terms, but also in historical, cultural, religious, <laughs> linguistic terms. It seems like very very hard to kind of get a grip, and even like modern political institutions like the Arab League and. Uh, it seems yeah. quite hard to specify. Do you think that everything comes back to Islam when we talk about the Arabic, the Arabic world? Because it seems like the two things are like really not separable. I know that I understand that the um, the Quran is a kind of um, key text that all of these countries might be referring back to. Um, does that is that 
does that mean that the Quran is the kind of um, the key point around which everything else rotates? Yeah, you know, and somehow this is also one of the problematic of when we, when we speak about the Arab uh, literature, because there are Arabic literature and, you know, or Arabic culture and Islam. But at the same time, they, they, they mix, as you mentioned, we can't separate the, the effectiveness of the Quran within the Arabic culture. But at the same time, we need to say that we have another religion within the Arabic. I mean, we have Christian and the history of Christian, Jewish within the culture specifically, you know, uh, even with, when, when, when the Islamic uh, empire was in, the, in, in its power, there were effectiveness of other um, uh, Arabic, uh, you know, we have Arabic writers, Arabic poeters, they were not Muslims. I mean, they were Christian and some of them Jewish. But you know, the, the big effectiveness of the Arabic, uh, the Quran, as you mentioned to, to the, uh, and it's, you know, combination, uh, specifically, when, when we talk now here in, in Sweden or any other country about Arabic culture, we can find some uh, those person that they can they they will speak about the Islam because they feel that when you speak about the Islam, you are speak about Arabic, which is not totally correct because we have also Arab we have even speaking Arabic where they are they were Kurds, for example, or Amazigh. Uh, you know, they were not uh, uh, Arabs. They are uh, from other nations, uh, other language, but they, 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 they have the same culture. I mean, we are speaking about Arabic culture. It's that, that not means that they are Arabs as racial, you know, because we have with the same culture, we have Kurds, we have uh, Amazigh, in, in, in uh, Morocco and uh, Algeria, all uh, of these countries. And also we have, you know, other uh, religion, Christian, Jewish specifically, and also uh, uh, EZD, for example, in Iraq, you know, so, uh, and now Baha'is, where they consider themselves as within the Arabic culture. So it's a problematic uh, term to define, but at the same time, I think we, we can speak about the Arabic culture, which is separately than the racial and the, the religion. It seems like it's very it seems like it's very challenging. And what would you consider to be your area of kind of uh, expertise in this? Do you take a overview of um, the whole Arabic speaking world, or is there a specific region whose literature you focus on, or a specific topic that you focus on? Actually, I start my uh, master degree, uh, which was concentrated on uh, Yemeni poets, uh, which called uh, uh, sorry, uh, his name is Abdullah Al Baradoni, which is blinded. I mean, he couldn't uh, see, but he is very important and famous Yemeni poets. Uh, I studied actually how he applied the, uh, you know, uh, the narrative tools to build its poems. Uh, but when I studied uh, PhD, I moved to 
Arabic novels, modern Arabic novels in general, to study the textual transformations within that, that, those novels. And I chose four samples from Egypt, from Yemen, from Syria, from Algeria. And from those four samples from also several uh, uh, histories. I mean, one from four, uh, 40s and the other it's from uh, now contemporary uh, era. So, I mean, this, this was my specialist, but when I moved to Sweden, you know, and I work as a uh, researcher at the Center for Middle Studies, I should to adapt the new area and the new uh, lead. Uh, in that case, I studied, uh, I tried to move my area, not, from, uh, not only to concentrate on uh, the literature and the novels and the poetry, I tried to uh, look for Arabic uh, discourse in general. So I tried to, uh, to uh, study uh, religious uh, discourse uh, and also political discourse uh, in Yemen specifically and uh, in the, some uh, you know, uh, nearest uh, countries like Saudi Arabia and uh, uh, Gulf uh, states. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a matter of language, but it's more wider, not only about the literature, but about, because I tried to, to apply my uh, criticized, literary criticized tools as uh, approaches and theories and apply those approaches to study the discourse in general. When you look at the Arab speaking world, um, with all of its different cultures and backgrounds, what are the literary differences there? Do you find that there is a separate body of Yemeni literature, or is Arabic literature kind of moving forward as one as one topic where all the bo where books are being shared between these quite geographically far away countries, or is it very clear clear distinction between like okay, this is Yemeni literature, this is Syrian literature. This is uh, Somali literature. Actually, you couldn't define uh, the. You can't say you can't. I mean, say that this is Yemeni literature. This is Saudi literature. But in uh, in reality, there is and there are those topics within their universities. For example, there are there is uh, at the university a topic or uh, you know one of. Uh, 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 the courses within the university that the Yemeni literature and Saudi literature, but actually this defi define uh, only as a geographical. I mean, we couldn't make, for example, a specific, uh, you know, within the content, or uh, we can say uh, literary uh, characteristic that make the differences between the Egyptian literature and the Yemeni literature and Saudi literature. No, I mean, if you bring a book from Saudi Arabia and from Yemen, from Egypt, and try to uh, study them, you couldn't find any, you know, uh, stylistic characters uh, or differences between those topics. But we, we in, the, in that case, when we say, for example, Saudi literature, we mean that the, uh, the writers, and uh, the poets, for example, 
They are from Saudi Arabia. This is the Saudi literature. Yemeni literature that it's written by Yemeni authors. Does that extend to the um, the use of language? Because I understand that uh, there are different kind, there are different dialects of Arabic spoken. Uh, they're quite different. They're very different. Do is that reflected in literature? Like if you open up, if a Yemeni were to open up a, uh, an Egyptian or Syrian book, would they find that the it is written differently, and that might be a characteristic, or is everybody writing in a kind of the similar? literary style yeah the, the, yeah there are some books or some topics i mean uh, when uh, the language uses for example when you came to egypt because i i need to to explain something important most of uh, the literature uh, written by standard arabics and this is why we couldn't find the differences between you know, the written in, in, in Morocco or Yemen, they are the same. But if there are some specific uh, books and documents that are written by uh, uh, the local dialects, for example, and there are, there is also, for, this is, I found it in, in uh, Egypt, which called uh, uh, not dialects, poetry, which called uh, Amia, Amia poetry, which means local dialect uh, Egyptian uh, language. Uh, this is, you know, this is a topic of uh, poetry you can uh, read, and there are uh, uh, some uh, poets that uh, written uh, that write their uh, uh, poems and in, 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 in Egyptian uh, dialects, but you know. But when it came to other countries, it's rare to find such uh, poets that speaking by dialects and publishing their poems. Because this is, you know, only we can, we said public poetry. It's only using for, by the people. And you can find them sometimes only in the, you know, social media or in the newspapers, but not as separate books, it's rare. You can find, but it's not like, you know, other uh, poets because I think it's, this is the official poet, poetry that you can find from thousand year until now. So this is the, the official and you, can, you couldn't, I mean, the, the people cannot say to you, you are uh, poets, only you uh, write your poetry according to uh, this uh, this way or this uh, shape or these characters. Do you think that there's a uh, for modern writers there might also be a marketing side to it where uh, there you have a wider readership if you are writing in standard Arabic? I imagine that the the uh, the market for local dialects might be very small, and in many parts of the Arabic speaking world might not be very uh, lucrative. Yeah, I think I think so. But also, but I, sh I should to mention when I mentioned to uh, Egyptian uh, local dialect like uh, Muhammad Fuad Nig, which which is a, an Egyptian uh, write uh, it his uh, poems on Egyptian dialect, but he has readers from 
several countries, not on, not only in, in, in Arab world, but in, in maybe uh, outside of uh, Arab Arab world, with they are speaking, uh, you know, Arabic. You know, it's as you mentioned. Yes, this is one of the reasons that if you want to reach out uh, an audience outside your country, you should to write by standard Arabic. But I think this is not only the reason, but also it's academic reasons. Because some academic institutions, they are not, uh, you know, uh, recognition. They, they don't give the recognition to this kind of uh, uh, poetry because you should to speak standard Arabic if you, if you want those academics to uh, criticize and to read your uh, uh, creativity. You keep referring to poetry. I understand that um, in the Arabic-speaking world, maybe in the Islamic world, that poetry is actually the more common form of literature. I mean, I think that in Europe, um, maybe in the West, you might say, that poetry is probably relegated to quite a small percentage of the bookstore. <laughs> it's not something which is which most people are reading on a day-to-day -day basis. But do you think that in the Islamic world or the Arabic world, it's um, it's actually the opposite, and uh, poetry is the dominant mode of expression? Yeah, unfortunately, we said to Arabic a nation as a nation of poetry. I mean. Even, you know, uh, we said the poetry is Diwan al-Arab, which, which means that the poetry is the history of Arabs. You know, when we read some history, we read our history from the poetry sometimes, because even if you, if you come to, to the Quran, for example, you can find it as a big poems. I mean, it's, it's more literally more than to have facts or, and I mean, the language uses with the Quran because uh, the religious uh, interpretations said that the Quran actually came to challenge the poets, you know? So I think this is affects the Arabs from the past until now that, the, uh, you know, I think it's cultural uh, in their cultural uh, background that, uh, every uh, uh, tribes, I mean, in the past, they were making, uh, you know, celebration if they uh, discover uh, a poet within uh, their members. So I think this is still, but not now. Now we find a lot of, you know, writers, specifically within these days, a lot of, for example, novels that have been written every year, not like the past. But, you know, during the, the, the last centuries, the poetry most important than other uh, writings. And when you were in school, would you be studying primarily poetry instead of taking home novels to read, for example? It, it mixed, mixed. But unfortunately, in, for, when we talk about the education system in Yemen, they don't concentrate on the novels. They concentrate on the, on the po poetry more than the other writings. I mean, they are still traditionally looking to the, the literature that it referred to the poetry more than other kind of uh, literature. Um, and tell me about the, um, the list that you made. Uh, 
the list of uh, books. Tell me about your research into uh, censorship in the Arabic-speaking world. How did this even? How did this become a topic of interest for you? Actually, it comes from my working, as I mentioned, in uh, the Center for Advancement and Studies. When I start uh, reviewing those uh, books on human rights and my work specifically to write annotated bibliography on human rights knowledge in the Arab world. Uh, actually, I during two years, I, uh, I read uh, about 200 uh, boxes from the Arab world and make summaries of these books. Not only summaries, but you know, to make some evaluations of those uh, documents. And then after two years, the actually, the, the, the project that I have work, uh, worked on, it was funded by uh, several uh, institutions and it was actually 10 years old. It, it was finished when I finished my, uh, uh, the annotations, but we couldn't publish the, the result. I started contacting uh, several uh, institutions to publish this result. One of them is uh, Dawood Ishaq Library with uh, Ulrika and uh, Emily. Actually, and they asked me, they said, we have this uh, interesting uh, project and we want uh, you to help us to find some specific uh, boxes, uh, banned books from the Arab world. And st I started work another uh, job to, to find, uh, you know, uh, uh, those books, which of course we have in the Arab world, we have, we can say thousands of banned books, because as I mentioned, we don't speak about specific country. We have uh, talking about 22 countries and, you know, each country has different regulations and has different prohibitions for them. So I, when I'm starting working on this document, I, make, I made some criteria to write. First, actually, I tried to find those documents and books that has another versions of, of them to, to translate it, for example, at least to English, because we need to bring these documents for other readers, not only for Arabs. Uh, and the second, uh, I tried to cover all the countries uh, from Egypt, uh, Saudi Arabia, Lebanon, Iraq, uh, uh, Syria, uh, Morocco, etc. And the second, I, uh, third, I tried also to cover all the uh, area of knowledge. I mean, from fiction to non-fiction, from you know, intellectual books. So uh, the other criteria regarding, you know, the structure of uh, the summaries, I tried to bring a brief information about the books and also to speak about why the, this books uh, have been, has been uh, banned, what's the reason? And also not only bring those books that have been banned, but also uh, you know, those boxes that their authors uh, subjected to be killed or arrested, exiled, etc. Yeah, I mean, this list is, uh, <laughs> it kind of speaks to my heart uh, because it's so, it's kind of curated 
in a very tight way but as you say it covers such a wide range of topics and places um and i'm very impressed by it. i think it's a really nice document and um yeah it's exactly what i'm trying to achieve also within my own within my pan books museum because we have um we're trying to represent as many countries as possible but what we're trying to do really is to tell the stories of the countries and the stories of censorship using the kind of countries as a as examples as samples as ways of communicating about a broader topic so if we're talking about um country i don't know if we're talking about france then we have a couple we only have a few books but it's enough to give an overview of the french attitude towards censorship over time so having this tightly curated list is very appealing to me and uh, <laughs> i'm very happy i hope that i can uh, access as many of the books as possible although i am personally collect trying to collect them in their original languages um first most importantly for me is to collect them in their original languages so i hope that i can uh, get my hands on all of them but uh, when i'm looking through the list i'm seeing that uh of course, it's very diverse and the, the stories that you communicate are um, very different, but there are themes which come up again and again and again. I mean, of course, Islam and um, apostasy from Islam is the kind of dominant theme and different uh, kinds of Islam, different factions of Islam. So to what extent does do you think that the list reflects, um, for example, a different um, Islamic traditions? Do you find that there are patterns within different Islamic traditions that are more tight on censorship and freedom of expression and freedom of literature? I think the problem is came from this uh, cooperation between some of uh, uh, religious leaders and you know the uh, direct sorry dictatorship, you know. So this combination between those uh, two parts that makes a censorship, because sometimes, you know, this uh, uh, alliance between the two parties that, for example, the politician said to the religious, please give us uh, the permission to, you know, to, to control the people and we will, I mean, it's, you know, uh, they change the, their uh, their rules between each other, and this is why you 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 find uh, the Islam, or we can say the religious uh, band, it's in, in, in everywhere. I mean, this is we can say uh, uh, the collective, or this is that share with other countries. You can find. You can find it in Saudi Arabia and in Yemen, in Egypt, and in, in, in every countries. But when we came to the, the history of Islam, we can find in, in the early stage of, of, for example, when we return to uh, Abbasi era, which is, I think, in the 700, uh, yeah, in this, yeah, in the, I think in the 9th uh, century, you can find uh, writings that speak uh, clearly about the sexual, for example, sexual uh, uh, description. You can find uh, uh, describe of alcohol, it's freely to speak. 
without any restriction from the authority at that time. You, can, you, you can't imagine that a, a writer can speak freely like this in, 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 in now in, in the Arab countries, which is very, you know, I couldn't understand uh, this, uh, this thing. But uh, yeah, of course, there are some specific uh, topics that within the countries, but when you came to Islam, you can find, you know, the same, you can find the same book, for example, that banned in, in those countries because they are sharing the same uh, mentality. When you came, for example, to this, uh, uh, what called the verses of Satan or, yeah. The, the satanic verses. Sat yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's banned on all of the Arab countries while it started in Iran, you know. It's Iran, it, it has different, uh, 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 you can say, different uh, perspective of Islam, which is Shia or Islamic revolution, which is mm -hmm. politically against Saudi Arabia. But at the same time, they are sharing the same uh, perspective toward this uh, kind of uh, books. You know, you can also measure other boxes. They, they, they can ban it, but uh, sometimes you can find a book, for example, that banned in Saudi Arabia, and it's, it doesn't ban in, in, in other country because it's a matter of uh, interpretation of Islam. Because they are, of course, they are Muslim, but at the same time, they have different interpretation of the Islamic teaching what apply in Saudi Arabia, it's different than those uh, teaching that applied in Egypt, for example. But they are sharing the, uh, the origin of, of, of those teaching in, in, in general that when you speak, for example, about the Quran itself, so it, it's prohibited to speak about it in, in everywhere in Arab countries. But if you speak, for example, about some details, it can be banned in, in this country and not in other. So you feel that it's a kind of cross between the whatever is, whatever is the local political structure and the local religious structure, and that these cross at different in different ways in different countries, and so you have different kinds of levels of censorship across the Arabic-speaking world. Yeah, yeah. For example, when you speak about the God, yeah. I mean, sometimes you couldn't find directly but it's it's a matter of as i mentioned the interpretation if you speak about the prophet muhammad so you you are not allowed to do that but if you speak about the wife of muhammad you can allow it in iran but you couldn't be allowed to 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 do that in saudi arabia i mean this is you know in in the detail this is de depending on the local uh, interpretation but when you speak as you mentioned to the cross you may be banned in everywhere. And uh, what about in Yemen then? What is the, I, what is the dominant uh, attitude in Yemen? Do you find that there's a widespread censorship there? Actually, it is the same in, in other countries, but you, know, it's, you, you couldn't speak about something that the, it's the leaders or the religious leaders think that you are not allowed to do that. It is the same in other countries, but 
uh, also you couldn't speak about the political, even sometimes to criticize the politicians, uh, politicians, uh, sorry. Uh, I mean, you couldn't uh, criticize the authorities uh, in, 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 in everywhere in, in Yemen. In addition to sometimes, you know, not speak about the religious, but to speak about something that uh, maybe, uh, interpret uh, maybe interpretations said that this kind of topic that it's, you know, it's defined, uh, sorry, it's offense the morality, offense the, uh, this leader or offensive to, you know, the Islam. So, I mean, sometimes it's, you, when you speak about specific topic, you maybe became uh, subjected to, to, to have another accusation, accusation not to, to, uh, against the Islam or against the religion. Yeah, one of the topics which is which is coming up all the time in your list is uh, women and the role of women within society. I was wondering, can you talk a little bit about um, female authors in the Arabic world? What role do they play within society? I mean, I'm guessing that it's different, you know, country to country, but broadly, broadly speaking, is there a freedom for women to write, or do you feel that they are under a special level of Restrictions. I think it's the, the, the same reg regulation with the, with the men when the woman that writing. But you know, when we when we speak about the woman writers, mostly those women writers are feminists, and this is one of the problematic topics in, in, in our country. Because when women that speaking about the rights of women, you directly you know facing those regulations that you, uh, they think this person that already speaking about the original or those uh, regulations of the Islam itself. And this woman tried to uh, remove those regulations and she is against the Islam itself. I mean, the feminist actually considered as against of society, against the, uh, the system and the regime, and against the, uh, the faith of the society. So this is actually the problematic thing, I, I, which is different than other country because the feminist, for example, it's, I know it's uh, uh, problematic in everywhere or in most of the countries, but specifically in our countries that I said, it's, it's, it doesn't stand against the author, uh, sorry, the authority and the, the dictatorship, but also it goes against, you know, the, the, the some in somehow those uh, religious uh, leaders that they want to shape the society according to their perspective. And what, so you feel that uh, those religious leaders, they have an interpretation of the Quran, which um, is fundamentally incompatible with feminism. Yeah, but you, you know, I, I need to, to uh, be clear that, as I mentioned before, it is the interpretation of the, the Islam teaching. And unfortunately, those leaders may, and somehow they change their interpretation according to uh, the need of the authorship or the power. 
for example, in, in Saudi Arabia, and uh, they were they were so uh, no the the woman, for example, uh, don't allow to drive the cars. But when the leader, I mean the 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 power, wants to uh, to change this uh, regulation, they give another uh, you know from those leaders, the religious leaders that no uh, the woman can uh, drive the car and you know you can you can measure these things to other for example also they said before uh, it's it's prohibited it's haram to uh, to listen to the music but when the authority wants to to change this regulation, uh, regulation the same leader said okay you, we can we can listen to the uh, specific music without 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 you know so this is actually as i mentioned it's according only to the interpretation of the islamic uh, uh, teaching i mean it's it, the, the actually when you came to the regulations within the, the quran and within the islam uh, uh, teaching you can find way to uh, to 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 I mean, to be with other uh, countries without any clashing. Yeah, I see, and this is why also I, I imagine that, for example, the poets you mentioned in the past who would write freely about sexuality and uh, alcohol and th- and these kinds of things, they were permitted to do that at that time because it was um, because it was the meeting of the religious. It was the meeting of the religious doctrine with the political needs at that time. Yeah, of course. You know, when you when you write, for example, Abu Nuwas, Abu Nuwas, which was uh, a poetry on, on the Abbasi era, when he speak freely about the, you know, not only about the sexual sexuality, but also speaking about the uh, the guy relationship, you know, and mm-hmm. you know, it's 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 now you can't even write posts in an Arab country about this thing, I mean, LGBT, which was in that time free to, to, to make poems and not only to, to write poems, but to bring these poems in front of the king, which this was caliphate, caliphate, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's unthinkable now. Yeah. But what is the status of those writings now, today? I mean, are those also lumped in with the with the band or are they respected because poetry is so fundamentally uh, is so kind of core to the arabic culture uh, whom poets you know in the past you know the... yes yes those yeah you know when you write now when you read now about uh, those uh, po- uh, poets you can find several also you know interpretation not the interpretation i mean a different uh, perspective when you write uh, when you read for example these books that are written by some religious they said this is uh, i mean they they try to uh, not interpret uh, interpret but also to uh, rewrite their uh, uh, poetry according to their perspective from now and the others said, uh, I, I mean, some of their poems within the uh, educational, uh, col- uh, sorry, uh, educational material and educational system, but not these poems. You know, they 
they choose some points that common or speaking about you know other topics yeah so they shift the focus to avoid the avoid the problem yeah but of course they are a part of our history and you know it's, it's still famous in you know, both abu nuas which is i mean he is actually uh, iranian uh, origin but he's considered as arabic literate, uh, as arabic uh, poet poets and what i mean i, w- I want to, i want to ask you to um make uh, predictions about the whole Arabic-speaking world, about all 22 countries. But can you give me some insight into what you think maybe are the, what direction we are going within literary freedom in the Arabic-speaking world? Do you broadly feel that there is a move towards liberalization or that there's this conservative attitude that is not going to go away? Actually, it's very difficult to, to speak or at least to, uh, to see the future because I mentioned it's, it's a problem of our authority and powers and those regimes. For example, when I'm speaking about the freedom of expression and, and, and those countries, at least 20 or 30 years ago, during these uh, tens of years, Lebanon was the, the first country in the Middle East that has a little bit freedom of expression. In that case, most of the publishing houses, Arabic publishing houses, is in Beirut, based in Beirut, because, you know, the Lebanon has this kind of, of freedom, and also it has a history of diversity and the history of uh, free uh, press. But unfortunately, during the last years, we have seen a changes within this environment, especially in Lebanon. We have seen some journalists that has, uh, have been killed and the others exiled. And, you know, because the, the, these uh, political changes and unfortunately, not only the political changes, but in some, in the, sometimes it's sectarian and religious uh, political changes within within the society and it's very difficult to 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 imagine how can we move forward or how can we say the future because of course when 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 uh, arab uh, uprising came in 2011 we hope that everything will be changed to the better but unfortunately only two or three years later we find nothing i mean we find that we have been uh, back backward i mean to 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 10 or more than account uh, uh, years uh, and this is what happened in yemen now uh, after 2000, 2015 when the houthi authority sorry, Houthi groups or uh, movement uh, control Yemen, it goes back by the country to more than uh, 30 years ago. I mean, uh, you couldn't couldn't speak about anything there. Only if you support this uh, group, you can allow to to, to write or uh, most of the writers now at the prison. So you couldn't do anything only to to support their uh, their missions, I mean, to support their uh, views. So, and likewise, in other country, of course, they said 
okay, we are, and I mean, some countries in Arab countries, they said we are moving to uh, secularism and we are free, we are moving to a new world, but at the same time, they, uh, they uh, uh, forced the writers and uh, uh, the, these institutions and uh, uh, even the academic to, uh, to write and to speak only to support their visions. You mentioned earlier that you're working within human rights. Uh, what is it that you are doing within human rights? I'm, I'm uh, actually, uh, I was working as executive director of uh, uh, a center that working with the minorities rights and human rights in Yemen. Uh, but uh, actually I'm working uh, mainly uh, within the knowledge of human rights, you know, within the discourse of human rights, not about human rights as uh, activists or as action. I really appreciate your um, what you're doing and I appreciate your I really appreciate your very personal story and I really look forward to using your research to uh, communicate with more people about this about the Arabic speaking world and about the issues that are related there I'm going to try to get as many of the books from your list as possible <laughs> and uh, make this podcast widely available so that people can have a greater insight uh, sometimes I think it's very difficult to bridge the cultural gap between the uh, between you know Europe uh, and the Arabic speaking world and I really appreciate your attempt to cross that bridge and to make people understand what's going on yeah thank you very much for everything that you've done and um, I hope to come to Sweden soon and we can meet and I'm very glad to hear that uh, things are kind of looking positive for you and your family in spite of the uh, ongoing difficulties in in Yemen Thank you very much for, for, for again for this uh, interesting interview and uh, I'm very happy to uh, to read about your project and the future and if it can contribute in any way or if you want anything in the future please contact me and I am um, I will I will be very happy to assist in any way. Yeah, thank you very much Mohammed so until we speak again. Okay, thank you. If you enjoyed our podcast, you can find more information about Bandbooks at www.bandbooksmuseum.com, where you can find links to all of our social media. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash bandbooksmuseum, where you can join our monthly book club. Your support is very much appreciated. This has been Joseph Dunnigan. Thank you for listening, and I'll speak to you next time. <laughs>